0: Expect or hope that God will do in response to what you have done. When we lived in Cameroon, a popular praise chorus went like this Oh Lord, we are very, very grateful for all you have done for us. Oh Lord, we are very, very grateful. For We say, thank you again. Thank you, Jesus. And then you repeated it about 20 times. Well one day, I overheard some boys singing it. I didn't think much of it. But then it hit me. They were singing the words wrong. They were singing, oh, Lord, you are very, very grateful for all I have done for you. So we could rephrase that question a third way. Should God be grateful for what you do for him? In the passage we read from Luke 17, Jesus addresses our expectations about God's response. The master doesn't tell his servant serve me, and then afterwards you can eat. The servant is only doing what he's been commanded, what he's expected to do, what a servant should do. And so Jesus says when we have done everything that God commands, everything, we are to say we are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty. That's who we are. Unworthy servants. So now, imagine, imagine that for one week, seven days, every moment of every day, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Right. And every person you encounter, you love as much as you love yourself. So you're not you're not just going through the motions, right? This is love. It's interior as well as exterior. And you share the gospel with dozens of people, and you you give away a large percentage of what you earn. And during that week, you lead a small group, and you help others to understand the Word of God. You pray diligently for other people. You teach a Sunday school class that no one else is willing to teach. You read your Bible every day. You pray two hours every day. You visit a sick neighbor. You bring a meal to someone who's hurting. You do your job faithfully, joyfully. And at the end of that perfect week, Seven days. Absolutely no sin. At the end of that perfect week, what have you earned from God? Jesus says, when you have done all that I've commanded, say, six I've with God for many years. I've gone through tough times. I'm not a simpleton. And friends, the, the better we know God and his word, the more we recognize our need for instruction. The more we recognize our need to depend on him. The more we recognize we need his light to shine into our darkness the more we recognize that we have to keep on learning no matter how much we have already learned. And so, verse 131, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. The idea is that it's like a thirst, right? If we don't drink water regularly, we get really thirsty. And that desire drives us to do almost anything to get water if we get thirsty enough. And this psalmist, who knows God's word so well, is saying, with him. But I am his servant. I belong to him.
1: And so therefore, I'm not going to go that route. I'm going to remember his precepts,
0: his commands. And then 143. Trouble and anguish have found me out. But your commandments are my delight. Again, God's commandments are the reason I am in trouble. Them in anguish. But I'm going to focus on them as my delight. And then the first three verses of our passage today have the psalmist praying for protection. 121 I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. The point is not because I have done what is just and right, don't leave me. That's the opposite of what we've already seen, right? That we're unworthy servants. Rather, he's saying, I am living in your household as your servant. I am in relationship to you, obeying you as a servant should. to 132, turn to me, be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. This is habitual with you, Lord God, that you are gracious to those who love your name, who love your character, who love who you are. It's so easy for us to turn our thoughts from seeing ourselves as unworthy servants to seeing ourselves as earning something from God, as being worthy rather than unworthy servants. And Satan tempts us to feel as if God has not given us our just wages. Satan tempts us to try to get us impressed with what we have given up to follow Jesus. Satan tempts us to think, hey, you should go to God and ask for a raise. God, look at me. I'm so much better than all those other servants easier to cry about other things than about people not keeping God's law. But if we are like Jesus, this is going to be characteristic of us. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. So how zealous are we for God's glory and honor? How much does it bother us that God's word is ignored and despised and rejected? How much does it bother us that the name of Jesus is dragged through the dirt, that he's not recognized and worshipped? Remember John Piper's phrase, missions exist, and you can say the same thing about evangelism exists, because worship doesn't. We are made to worship God. He deserves all honor and glory and praise. And so it should bother us when that's not happening. Yes, that is for the good of those people who are not worshiping. That's how they find joy and fulfillment. But also, that's what God deserves. a little better Remember that God is the definition of good. God is the definition of good. 137 and 138. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all. your righteousness is righteous forever and your law is true and then 144 your testimonies are righteous forever give me understanding that I may live so understand he's not saying I know what righteousness is God and congratulations God you live up to it you meet the standard that's not what he's saying We are not in a position to judge whether or not God is good or righteous. He not only is good, he is the standard. so translated, well-tried, if you have another version, it might say that your word is pure. And that may seem a little weird to us. Well-tried? Pure? But the word is, the word which is used of refining silver, okay? So the purity is the result of the process. The silver is refined. And it becomes 100% pure. And the trial, the proving nature of it, is the process itself. And so the word can mean either, and I think the psalmist has both ideas in mind. The word has been tested by fire, and it has been shown to be true, just, righteous, all together. And so when times are tough, we must remember God's word is not only righteous in some abstract sense, but it has proven itself righteous over hundreds of years in the lives of millions of followers of Jesus. God's word is not only pure, but it has been proven to be pure again. Is tested and proven these last two are, are brief, last two subheadings. Both of these last two subheadings reflect the promise that the Apostle Paul makes in Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So the third subheading, pray that sin will not hinder your that sin, sin will
1: not hinder your obedience. 133. Keep steady
0: my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. I am under you. You are my master. So don't let any iniquity, any sin displace you as my master. As Jesus said, you cannot serve both God and money. Could have said, any one of another, that you cannot serve both God and anything else only. Well, then in conclusion. Servants.